Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene, art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And we are back on the Culture Corner, and we're now switching gears a little bit. We're going to talk to an author, a local author, Todd Goldberg, who has a brand new book out, The Low Desert Gangster Stories. Hi, Todd. How are you? I am doing absolutely fantastic. I am fully caffeinated and fully vaccinated. How so good, I'm ready to go. Good for you. <laughs> I'm envious about that. I'm not I'm not in an eligible category yet. As soon as I am, I'm going to get it. Absolutely. Um, so, well, I, I've got tremendous 5G now. Everything's working great. Okay. Super. <laughs> so uh, you are a New York Times bestselling author of over a dozen books. And, uh, this le- and you're also, I think it's interesting, uh, co-host along with Maggie Downs of Open Book and KCOD Coachella FM. And um, the director of UC Riverside's Master Fine Arts Writing Program. So you got a lot, lot on your plate right now. Yeah, you know, the, the nice thing is that the modeling has really sort of tapered down, so I have a lot more time to do these other things. <laughs> so tell us about this book, The Low Desert Gangster Stories. What, what, and now, because you've done, uh, the gangster theme has popped up before and some other things you've written, correct? Yeah, so I've written two novels um, about gangsters, Gangster Land and Gangster Nation, and The Low Desert is both an expansion of that universe that I created, uh, and then also dives into some other things that I'm interested in that I don't cover in those novels. Um, so Gangster Land and Gangster Nation are about a Chicago hitman named Sal Cupertine who hides out in Las Vegas as a rabbi named David Cohen, though he's neither a rabbi nor even Jewish. Okay. Uh, so he shows up in these stories, as do some of his other compatriots in the crime game. Okay. And so I'm looking at a couple of blurbs here. Um the fast-paced fictional crime stories in Todd Goldberg's latest collection feature a cast of characters navigating mysterious, tragic, and occasionally funny situations. So now, is all is all of this totally fiction, or are you you taking things from any real-life character people? Well, you know, some of the things that I write about, I think, are sort of truth adjacent. So there's some. It's all fiction. Mm-hmm. All of it is made up. Okay. But, um, you know, there's a short story in the book called The Royal Californian that involves a clown that shows up at local restaurants and bars. And I don't know if you've ever been out and about, Bonnie, but every now and again, a clown will show up in a local restaurant or bar. Yeah, I know Harpo. So, yes, Harpo. <laughs> I know him. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's based on Harpo. Okay. But I'm saying sometimes weird things happen, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> So then, I, then there's also stories that take place in the Salton Sea in the 1960s, which was a real hub of organized crime activity. Mm-hmm. And so I write a bit about that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it was, is it, uh, is it the story I recall, I think, uh, is it Two Bunch Palms or someplace out near Desert Hot Springs where there's someplace that has bullet holes in it that supposedly Al Capone or somebody hid out for a while? Uh, uh, do you remember that story? Is that a- oh, accurate? Oh, yeah, I, I I remember there was someone trying to sell that story out here for a few years <laughs> that Al Capone used to hide out in DHS. You know, as a as a desert native, essentially, I have lived here for most of my life. I can't imagine Al Capone ever thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah, 
I want to go to DHS. Yes, yeah. That's where I want to be. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe it's, right. maybe it's not accurate. So I, I always love to ask writers. I, I mean, I write a little bit, but I don't have anything published, but just here and there. Uh, do you, are you one of those people who, do you get ideas at two or three in the morning, wake up, or do you, you know, set a time, okay, t- t- today from 10 a.m. to 2, I'm going to sit down and write one way or another? Or is it a mixture of both? Uh, it's a little bit of both. You know, when I'm working on a book, um, inspiration will strike me at the oddest times. You know, my wife and I will be at the Trader Joe's in La Quinta and someone will anger me and all of a sudden <laughs> the hitman in me will show up and I'll know how to I'll know how to finish a scene that I haven't written yet. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I think as writers, we're, we're always influenced by the things that are happening around us. And that, to be honest, it's been one of the hardest parts about spending most of my life at home for the last year is that I really love to go out and, and eavesdrop and, 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 mm-hmm. and pay attention to what people are talking about because that influences me as much as anything else. So it's a little bit of both. You know, when I have, when I have a book under contract, I already know it's going to happen, but that doesn't mean I, I don't still need a little inspiration every now and then. Yeah. And so you, uh, you have an MFA in creative writing and literature from Bennington college. So is this, was that, did you know from a very young age that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, I come from a family of writers. You know, my mom for many years was the society editor of the Desert Sun, and she wrote uh, she wrote books about divorce because she had been quite proficient at that. Um, <laughs> okay. My uh, my brother is a novelist and a television producer. My sisters write books. My uncle writes books. Wow. So it's 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 been part of the family business for a very long time. Even my grandmother, when she was in her twenties, and this is you know this is at the turn of the century, essentially the last century, um, was a was a newspaper columnist in Spokane, Washington. So it's always part of our, our blood, I think. Um, but, you know, for me, too, as a, as a person who has always wanted to live a creative life, the idea that I get to sit around and write about cool stuff and blow up cities and all that just mm-hmm. from the comfort of my own home, it's a pretty good gig, you know. Otherwise, yeah. I'd be in prison for the things that I think about. <laughs> now, so is there any good-natured, or maybe even not so good-natured, competition among all your family members who are all writers? No, no. Everyone knows I'm the best. Does that <laughs> <Okay>. help? <laughs> really, it really makes it easy. No, you know, the nice thing is that my my brother is uh, is nine years older than me, and and he's been publishing books since he was twenty years old, and. To have a, a support system as an artist, as you know, of people that believe in you before you've even achieved anything yes. is so important mm-hmm. to your development. You know, mm-hmm. it never seemed impossible to me that I would be a writer. And I think most people growing up, if their parents are plumbers or doctors or accountants or whatever, and you say, oh, I want to make a living by dreaming of stuff, they think you're nuts. Mm-hmm. That was never the case in, in our family. Yeah. Um, and that, that was a huge help for me. From the first day that I wanted to write books to today, I mean, I just got off the phone with my brother just a moment ago because he wanted—he needed some help wondering how a person would get out from being stuck underwater with an anchor tied to their foot. Mm. These are the kinds of conversations you get to have when your brother's a crime writer also. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, uh, what advice... What do you think? What do you think is the biggest mistake that uh, new fledgling writers, fiction writers, make? And when you, if you've ever read somebody's manuscript just starting out, that's like really bad. What What are some of the mistakes new newbie writers make? Would you say? Well, you know, as the person who runs a, a graduate school in creative writing, I you know I see a lot of fledgling writers. I mean, yeah. I see them every day. Yeah. 
but the benefit that I have is I get to select who I work with and who gets accepted. And so mm-hmm. I see people with a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I think young writers, and this means young of age or, or young of putting pen to paper, essentially, mm-hmm. is that they have a sense of entitlement. They, they feel like they deserve to be published, that mm-hmm. the world is waiting for them. And, and that creates a, a thin-skinnedness that is not good for this business. Right. Um, you, you have to understand that uh, you, that rejection is going to come your way, that no one deserves to be published. You earn it. Mm-hmm. And you earn it through reading and, and writing and through diligence and hard work and all of those things. Because there's so many talented writers, and all the talented writers find their place in the world, and it's because they, they can't deal with that rejection. So my advice, in addition to don't feel entitled, is get used to being told the things you don't want to hear. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's hard, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of years of therapy for most of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Maya, so you have, uh, you've had, how many books, novels have you written? 12, is it? Uh, 12 novels, thir- 12 or 13 novels, something like that, 15 books in total. Wow. So about a book every 18 months for the last 20 years. And so I'm, 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 I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do, so do you have like three or four percolating in your head at all times? Well, not only are they percolating, but some of them have already been paid for, and so I really got to get to work. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got more ideas than I can write about, and part of that is why I wrote The Low Desert, was to explore some of the ideas that I haven't had the chance to get to. I, I've had the champagne problem since 2007 of having books under contract every single year yeah. and for continuing series, and that means I can't always write an idea that pops into my mind I have to keep it for something right, else yeah. my co-host Brian has a question for you you know just to get back to what you were saying about the advice for young writers I actually do agree that when it comes to writing when you become a writer you have to deal with rejection but I wanted to ask your thoughts on fan fiction now fan fiction in itself is seen as sort of like this way for young writers to kind of like take make mistakes and be able to like take creative risks within like a very like I'm, I'm going to say within a certain kind of space, because when you write fan fiction, you're writing with pre-existing characters that are already there for you. So I wanted to get your thoughts on fan fiction and whether or not it's a good outlet for young writers to use for their creed, for their own creative projects down the line. Um, you know, it's a good question because, you know, the Internet is filled with it. You know, there, you can read 8000 stories about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Mr. Spock, uh, you know, going on adventures together. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a good way to, to look at the machinery of how a piece of art is made and to imagine yourself creating it. But it's, it leaves out a key part of it. And the key part is the creation of character itself. Um, and so I think, yeah, you know, play around with it if you like. You know, I, I think we all, um, we all wear our influences p- pretty broadly on our sleeves when we're just starting out. And I think the Internet has made it possible for you to write those kinds of stories and have other people weigh in on them. And that's that's a good way to get started with it. But my better advice is if you, if you love something so much that you want to, to write it yourself, think of something that's close to it that you can create and have be your own where you create the backstory, you create the conflicts, you create all those things. And, and I say this as a person who has written books based on a television show before. I wrote the Burn Notice books for a couple of years. And that was, for me, it was like, it was like recording a cover song over and over and over again, where I had to do something different to make the fans of that song still want to hear it, but 
but also find it compelling enough to listen to it again. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a real challenge. But I, I think fan fiction is a, is a good way to, to learn your chops. So, Todd, I want to make sure we get this in. Where can people find uh, The Low Desert and, and all, any, of your, any or all of your books? Are they in local bookstores or Amazon or where would they find them? You can find them anywhere. I'm a, I'm a big-time famous writer, Bonnie. You can buy my books wherever oh, you buy books. Uh, okay, well, I just wanted to chat, just to be sure. <laughs> you can get them anywhere. And the locals, um, I'm going to pop into the Barnes & Noble at the Westfield Shopping Town sometime this week and find some more copies. I left some the other day, and they all went away very quickly. But you can order them anywhere. i got lots of events that are still coming out. Um, if you go to ToddGoldberg.com, you can see the current event schedule. Everything's online right now, of course. Mm-hmm. You can also get a link to get signed books. Um, but you can you can buy my books wherever wherever violent, mean books are sold. <laughs> so did, um, so do, would you say all of your books are all sort of uh, crime, crime, gangster, hard, hard, hard times kind of thing? Or do you ever write anything fluffy and flowery? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> what about that Santa Claus never, one I saw? <laughs> the collection of um, Christmas, uh, oh, Christmas yeah. books. The, the Usual Santas is, the, is a great collection of short stories that take place at Christmas time. And I wrote a story about a family that's found dismembered oh, on a geez. mountain somewhere in the Midwest. <laughs> oh, my God. Christmas. Okay. <laughs> a real holi- holiday Yule Holiday horror, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not right now. Get the Christie over here, Bonnie. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, listen. T- I'm gonna have to get this book. Todd Goldberg, The Low Desert Gangster Stories, and you can go to Todd Goldberg, T O D one D Goldberg, G O L D B E R G. ToddGoldberg.com to find out more about where you are and when th- things are coming up. Thank you so much for being here. Well, uh, fascinating guy. I'm gonna have to get you. this it's a real book. Real pleasure. All right. Yeah, get on it, you two. Okay, we will. All right. Thank you so much, Todd Goldberg. All right, we'll be back with much more on the Culture Corner. The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. Hey, welcome back to The Culture Corner. Why don't we talk about... Harry Potter actress Katie Luang, because of recent events that we're not going to really talk about too much on the show, I think it's important to address anti-Asian discrimination in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, D- Katie Luang played, she's a Scottish-born actress. She played the love interest of Daniel Radcliffe's Harry Potter, um, Cho Chang. She is a character that shows up for a couple books in the in couple books and then you know she kind of fades away throughout the sh- her pro- her thing in the movie is that she's the love interest that eventually betrays the group of friends mm-hmm. now she talked about how oh, that when she played Cho Chang she felt a lot of like bullying and a lot of like anti uh, anti-Asian discrimination just the way the press would talk about it and this is the fact that she said that for her like the press would probably treated her a little bit different than her co-stars who Mm -hmm. were mostly white actors. Mm -hmm. And she also said that it it got to a point where she felt that, um, 
someone had actually taken a secretly had taken a picture of her without her permission and that the picture was published when she, and she was a teenager in school and she mm-hmm. doesn't say what type of picture it is but it seems like it, it didn't really it's not a nice picture mm-hmm. as you can tell and she mm-hmm. said she broke down in tears and that there was an actual hate site that actually talked about how hor- about her casting and she said that it got to a point where she said it was awful and that she googled herself and found out that Harry Potter fans really went after her and that some people even though the character was written as Asian in the book mm-hmm. were actually surprised that an that they Asian- cast an Asian actress yeah and because yeah. a lot of them were under the impression that another actress who was white was going to get the part and she said that be- at the time she was so young, she did not have media training mm-hmm. and that a publicist had been recommended by Warner Brothers mm-hmm. or at least by someone higher up. And mm-hmm. it doesn't say exactly who to mm-hmm. not talk about it. And they said, oh, look, Kate, we haven't seen these websites that people are talking about. And if you get asked about them, just say it's not true. It's not happening. And she said she agreed with it. But she felt like she was defenseless yeah and i gotta say that during the time of these conversations Mm -hmm. and what happened earlier in the week we we really have to speak out against stuff Mm -hmm. like that and i think that if you're in the public sphere sphere i mean you have to say something when something wrong yeah and you and everyone deserves to speak out and have their voice and speak the truth when something like that is happening and you know, I just, uh, you just shake your head. I, I mean, I don't mean to be Pollyannish or, uh, you know, overly idealistic, but we talked about this before. There's a song in South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught. Ch- boy, babies are not born racist. Children have to be taught to be racist, whether it's Asian Americans, Mexicans, African Americans, doesn't matter what the group is. Uh, gays, it doesn't matter. You, you, children have to be taught that. They have to be taught. Well, we think that these people are different from us, so therefore, to, you know. So it just, it's, it's, it's. You have to look at the parents. You have to look at the adults in their lives, and you know where they're learning this stuff from. And it's really, really unfortunate. And it's both sad and infuriating. And it's like. Where, just like Tom was just talking about uh, writers, new writers feeling entitled. I deserve to be published. Well, some of these other people, I'm entitled. I, I am, you know, I'm, you know, whatever, white, Protestant, whatever. So I am therefore better than everybody else. No, you're not. Who told you that? Where did you get that from? You know? Well, yeah. And for me, it's like, even if you take a race out of this, which I don't think you should, I think that fans who create a website to dunk or to like hate on an actress because it's a different casting decision you're not entitled to a movie movie casting someone you like and no. this is also the case with like another actress Brie Larson who was she's white and like most and she plays Captain Marvel in the Marvel movies mm-hmm. and a lot of people were not very happy with her casting cuz they felt that well they had their own silly little reasons why even though for me like when I heard it I thought it was perfect mm-hmm. but their reasons and they went after her pretty hard and i gotta say is that i am so done seeing that Mm -hmm. i i have avoided uh, the the term is fandom meaning Mm -hmm. being around other fans yeah because for me like when i every time i go on fan websites or stuff i like i always feel disappointed that they always have something so some negative negative stuff to say because for me it's like did let's say in the case of harry potter katie her character in fact a lot of people even say now 
have actually said, you know, her character was underwritten in the movies and she deserved a bigger role. Mm-hmm. So a lo- it looks silly now in hindsight when you yeah. look back at these people. Like, I wonder to the people who did those hate websites or participated, like, you know how silly you look at this point? Well, chi- child, it's first of all, it's very childish. It's tacky. It's, uh, you know, to me, that makes them look uneducated and not too bright, frankly. Um, But, you know, it's like, and don't you have something better to do with your life than to create a website to trash some girl in a movie? I mean, don't you have something important to do rather than that? (laughs) And, you know, a year ago, like I was on when Bobby and Melissa were here, they talked about how like there was a strong reaction towards the flowers in the attics uh, movies and that fans were really adamant about how they didn't adapt them well but that they went after melissa's father and i'm not going to speak too much on that but i feel like in that case it's like people forget that there's somebody on the other side yeah that famous person has feelings and they and they have a right to adapt the movie or what or cast whoever they want anyway so all right we'll be back with more on the culture corner listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. And we are back on The Culture Corner and hopefully in just a moment we're going to speak with uh, our buddy Jeff Hawker, of course has his own show here on iHub, talking about the uh, Palm Springs Gay Men's Chorus presenting Easter Parade live in live Live and virtual, um, hosted by Ethelina Can. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, this sounds like a really fun event. Uh, $30 general tickets, $60 VIP. For tickets, you can go to psgmc.com. Palm Springs Cultural Center. This is, uh, where's the date? It is uh, Sunday, Saturday, April 10th, 7 p.m. Saturday, April 10th, 7 p.m. Uh, the doors open, things opens at 6 p.m. Show starts 7 p.m. Special guest, Anne Hampton Calloway, who is fabulous. One of the leading champions of the Great America songbook she's going to join the chorus in a special tribute she has made her mark as a singer pianist composer lyricist arranger actress educator tv host producer voted recently by broadwayworld.com's performer of the year that's pretty that's pretty amazing uh her unique singing style blends jazz and traditional pop um she is best known for her Tony-nominated performance in the hit Broadway musical Swing and for writing and singing the theme songs of the hit TV series The Nanny. Calloway is a platinum award-winning writer whose songs are featured on seven of Barbara Streisand's recent CDs. And she also, um, she wrote What If Love Is All We Have for Quiet No More, which was a piece the chorus sang at Carnegie Hall and Walt Disney a hall in 2019 and remember we had Jeff on talking about that at the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising um, this is a, a quote from Douglas Wilson artistic director of the Palm, Palm Springs Gay Men's Chorus so this is really a fun exciting event so again it's Saturday April 10th uh, tickets are $30 socially distanced and mandatory mask show we like that auction and screening of Irving Berlin's Easter Parade or for $60, enjoy a VIP experience, including dinner, gift bag, pre-show, auction, and film screening. 
Uh, you can call 760-219-2077 for details at 760-219-2077. And they've got a lot of, they've had a, some great sponsors that really helped get this event rolling. Uh, Palm Springs Cultural Center. Town Real Estate, Palm Springs Disposal Service, Channel Q, 103.1 FM, K-Gay, 106.1 FM, Daily Desert Guide, I, of course, we iHub right here, Gay Desert Guide, The Center, Corbell, Jägermeister, The Standard, Desert Sun, and the Palm Springs Gay Men's Course Board of Directors. So um, this looks like really a fun event, and we're hoping to... Um, we're hoping to get Jeff um, on in just a minute. Um, but the Postman's Gay Man's Course, uh, it's been around for a while, and they've really put on some some great events. And, you know, it's really great that so many venues, um, theater venues, performing venues around the desert, are finding these innovative ways to still put on entertainment and keep folks entertained, get them at least out of their houses, but doing it in a safe way, whether it's either a drive-in thing where you stay in your car or it's socially distanced or masks and or all of those things. Um, so this is really great, Irving Berlin's Easter Parade. I haven't seen that in years. I saw it once years and years and years ago. Of course, Judy Garland, Fred Astaire, Peter Lawford, Ann Miller. It's a great cast. And there's, uh, do we have Jeff? We have Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Great. How are you today, Bonnie? Yeah, I'm doing great. So I t- talked a little bit about this, but is it is it Ethelina Can? Am I pronouncing that yeah. correct? Yes. She is the hostess with the mostest, okay. and she is going to be fantastic. So tell us a little bit how this came to be. This, this What a great combination of, of talent, music, and film. Tell us a little bit about the, the whole, how it came to be. Well, you know, as everybody knows, you know, everybody's had to rethink their organizations. And so we thought, what better way to showcase the chorus than by having a great musical uh, Irving Berlin's Easter Parade, um, of course, starring Judy Garland and Fred Astaire and Peter Lawford and Ann Miller. I mean, some of the greatest talents of all time. Yep. Uh, and then we will have Ethelina Can is our host, uh, hostess, who will talk about all everything the chorus is doing. And, you know, we're already starting to think about the fall. So we may just have a holiday show this December. Um, but we brought in Anne Hampton Calloway, who has written one of the, well, actually two songs from Quiet No More, which was part of the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Mm-hmm. And so the chorus got to sing one of her songs two years ago. And so she's going to do a special Irving Berlin tribute and do some welcome. And then we've got Lenny Broberg who is an amazing guy who is going to be our auctioneer. Mm -hmm. And we've got some great memorabilia. We've got memorabilia from Judy Garland, from, um, uh, from Ann Miller. We are uh, going to be auctioning off trips to Puerto Vallarta and Mm. all kinds of, all kinds of great stuff. So anyway, so this event is Saturday, April 10th. It is a fundraiser for the Palm Springs Gay Men's Chorus, um, and it will be at the Palm Springs Cultural Center, also known as the Camelot Theater, mm-hmm. which on the back side of their building, they have a full movie screen. And, you know, who has seen Easter Parade on the big screen? Probably not very many people. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity to see one of the most iconic movies during Easter. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, it's also the second highest grossing 
movie musical of the 40s, the second highest. I didn't know that. Right after, of course, Meet Me in St. Louis. So, like, a lot of people have seen it, but maybe not right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, also a Judy Garland movie. Yeah. She was a huge box office draw back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now tell me, I see the the a VIP experience, $60 includes dinner, get back. So dinner, is there, um, are there going to be tables outside or how, is they, how are they doing that? Well, okay, so it, it's multifold here, you know, because we, we all have to be creative right now. Mm-hmm. So one, you have the drive-in theater component. So at, at the Palm Springs Cultural Center, there's a cafe called Mildred's, mm-hmm. and they do things like chicken and waffles. They do uh, chicken tenders. They do hot dogs. They do all you can eat, like popcorn and soda and candy combinations. Mm. So what we did is it's a $30 general price for anybody who wants to see the show and the movie. And then for the VIP price, you get dinner, the movie, and we're going to put together a really nice gift bag for you. Okay. All all raising funds for the Palm Springs Gay Men's Chorus for when we do go back to, you know, doing live shows again. Yeah. So, uh, um, and Anna Hampton Calloway, she's fabulous. I've seen her a couple times live with well, for one night only. You know, Michael Childers did a couple of those. She's, she's just amazing. She's really, really. Uh, uh, now, she is, she's not based here most of the time, is she, here in the desert? No, she's based in Los And she, if you haven't seen her and her sister together, mm-hmm. her sister is more of the Broadway star. She's been in a lot of big Broadway hits. But Anne is more of a songwriter. She's mm-hmm. written songs for Barbara Streisand. Um, she's done a lot of her own solo music. And I'll tell you, she has got a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's. So this is going to be a great show for everybody. Yeah, uh, and tell me about Ethelina Can. Uh, now, does, does Ethelina perform a lot around around here in the desert? Uh, she does. She has been at all of the big black tie galas, um, at the Steve Chase, at Evening Under the Stars. A lot of times, she does the red carpet where she comes up and she interviews people and they videotape it and and they do live production. Um, but she also does her own shows. She's got a show now that she's doing at Wilma and Frida's. Um, I can't tell you which day of the week it is, but um, <laughs> if, you, if you do a Facebook search for Ethelina Can, she's posting all of her stuff there. So, it, it, you know, it's going to be really fun. Everybody's going to get into the theme of it. We encourage people, if they want to wear an Easter bonnet, they mm-hmm. can do that. We may, we may even have a little bit of a contest. Um, but again, you know, what a great evening to see Easter yeah. parade yes. during Easter, um, at a drive-in movie and, you know, all the fun that goes with being a drive. So, um, when I was saying there was multiple levels, there's the car portion. And then because things are opening up, we are going to have seating in front of the theater, of course, mm-hmm. so- socially distanced, yeah. but we have room for about 60 people in the front. Yeah, that's a that's a nice size parking lot. Yeah, they 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 have a nice size parking lot, which which is great. So so, let's say, uh, looking optimistically, being optimistic about how things are going to go in the next three, four, five, six months. Uh, what do you, what what do you hope and what are the, what is the gay men's chorus hoping for as far as performances maybe coming up in the fall, if all goes well? 
We Well, we've already been talking to the Annenberg Theater, which is our home uh, where we do our productions. And we've already set dates for uh, the second weekend in December. And then we've already uh, done some dates for April of 2022. So we're anticipating, you know, one of the things that I think everybody is keen on is making sure that people get vaccinated. I think the quicker everybody gets vaccinated, the quicker we'll get back to normalcy, especially when it comes to live production. Yes. And so, you know, most of our chorus has already been vaccinated. So, you know, we're looking at doing rehearsals probably by late summer, you know, by August, September time frame. And we'll be ready for our December show. Okay. And I always like to, I know I've had you on before and asked these questions, but just to sort of review. Gaiman's Chorus, how long have they been around? How many members? Do they have auditions every year? We have auditions every year. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, I'll probably come back on the show sometime in summer and we can talk about that part of it. Um, because right now we are actually looking for a new artistic director. Um, our great Douglas Wilson has been with us for seven years, but he's ready to re- retire. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if any of your people or your listening audience are looking to lead a great chorus, um, we currently have 110 members on our roster. Um, that doesn't mean we all sing at one time. Usually our concerts are anywhere between 80 and 90 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want more information, you can go to psgmc.com. And in fact, you'll see when you go on our homepage, there's a huge button that says Easter Parade. You can click on that and it goes directly to buying tickets. But if you want to join the chorus, there's also a button you can click on that says join. Has all the information. Uh, uh, Jeff, I think we're losing you a little bit, but I think you were saying that there is a just uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There is a button on the website that says join the chorus. Am I right? Is that what you were trying to say? There, there is a button on we the go. website, and you can. Uh, we our phone number is seven six zero two one nine two zero seven seven. Um, from our website, you can do anything and find out all the information about who we are, our history. And uh, what's kind of cool is kind of browsing through all of our program covers from our 22-year history. And you'll see all the great variants of different shows and performances we've done. So, Jeff, I'm assuming that you will be at this event, the, the Easter Parade event on the, ten- the 10th. My question for you is, are you planning to wear an Easter bonnet? I probably will not because I'm the executive producer for the event, so I will be running around doing all the technical aspects. Okay. But but I'm sure everybody likes to get creative in Palm Springs. You can so do we're that in an Easter bonnet. <laughs> I think you'd look fabulous in an Easter bonnet. But, all right, Jeff Thank ha- you. Jeff Hawker, Gay Men's Chorus, Easter Parade, live and virtual event, Saturday, April 10th. Uh, go to uh, psgmc.org. Uh, did I get that right? Dot com. All right. Thank you, Jeff. We love you. All right. Take care. We'll be back with more on the Culture Corner in just a moment. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. 
In our final news segment, we're going to talk about a news story that started yesterday with comedian slash actor Daniel uh, Franzisi. Now, this actor, if you have seen the movie Mean Girls or have seen the TV show Looking, he starred in both of those. He plays uh, in Mean Girls. He plays the gay best friend of the Lindsay Lohan character who is generally very nice and has a lot of fun one-liners like, you go Glenn Coco, which has become the almost like a millennial slang at this mm-hmm. point. And in Looking, he... I, I think his performance in Looking is wonderful. If you've never seen Looking, Bonnie, it's a Looking, great... L-O-O-K-I-N-G, yeah, Looking. It's okay. a show that follows gay men in San Francisco, and he shows up okay. in season two, and he plays a character that is interested in one of the leads, and he has HIV, but I love the fact that it's so positive, right? It's one mm-hmm. of the... In my opinion, it's not only positive in its depiction of like people who have HIV, but also just the fact that it was one of the first shows where I saw a bigger man get seen as perceived as sexy mm-hmm. so daniel franzisi is a very is an openly gay comedian who does a lot of comedy about being italian being gay but also tries to do a lot of body positivity so overall mm-hmm. i think he's a great guy mm-hmm. and you know i hope to those who don't know him i'm i'm describing a good picture of wh- mm-hmm. what type of person this is he's mm-hmm. been on gay magazine covers and he's very very much in the gay scene and so, so he's never he's never tried to hide that so no. the fact that this uh, university hired him and apparently didn't know that is kind of bizarre oh yeah and just to yeah. clarify walsh university walsh university is a catholic university in ohio and they hired him for a beauty pageant for men like their idea was to have like men in looking nice and show off like the best of men it's supposed to be like in their perception like a more highbrow version mm-hmm. of like a beauty pageant mm-hmm. which is fine i think yeah. those types yeah. of events are yeah. cute you know but they're i but they hired him to be an mc and they finalized everything according to daniel himself he finalized everything since february and a week before the event which is supposed to be march 26 so mm-hmm. honestly less than a few days from now yeah. um he got fired and he was told by, via email that his contract was not approved and that it was because the higher ups at the university did not approve of certain parts of his life and it's hinted that it's because he was gay and i've shown bonnie some pictures from instagram and it's one of those things where the moment you go on instagram daniel you see <laughs> yeah i mean how could you not know that yeah and, and it's not just the pictures of him where he's shirtless and, you know, that's his up to him. But There's he's on the cover of a gay magazine mm-hmm. and, you know. And he put he puts on a very like he puts on a camp aesthetic to make it clear that it's, mm-hmm. you know, that he's gay. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like I was telling Bonnie that the Catholic University has every right to not hire anyone to, that they don't Whoever want. Whoever they don't want. That's fine. But they I don't think they should fire someone way after they finalize something just for something like that absolutely and i feel like daniel really got a terrible um uh terrible deal out of this got kind of screwed over and for me and for me like the other thing is that i i I like the fact that i I, what irritates me actually before i say the positive thing that's going to come out of this is he actually took a reduced rate he they really wanted him at the university and so (laughs) So, okay, so then the question would be, who is it who really wanted him? And if so, this person really wanted him, 
they must have known something about him. They must have known who, who he is and why he's famous. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like somebody should, some head should roll for not doing your research. You know, whoever originally hired, decided to hire this guy or really wanted Master to reduce his rate, you did not do your research correctly or did not pass on that information to the higher up so that people knew who you were hiring to begin with. Oh, yeah. And it's not even at, at that point. It's more of like how... For me, like if I hire someone, you better know who you're hiring. Yes. And like in the case of Daniel, like he doesn't hide. It, yes, he, he didn't hide anything. Yeah. yeah. And Daniel's has every right to be angry, not mm-hmm. only because it's discrimination, but also because like he took a reduced rate and he wanted mm-hmm. and he felt and he does admit, you know, hey, I'm a comedian. I'll make this money back eventually. But it's the mm-hmm. fact that I had to make accommodations. It's the principle of the thing. Yeah. And yeah. He did say in the end that he wants to host a um, event at a gay bar in Ohio. He wants to host a fundraiser event for the Trevor Project. Mm-hmm. And if you're a gay student at Walsh University, he tells you, come in, bring your Walsh ID, mm-hmm. and you'll come in free. Wow. You'll get in for free, and you'll get everything accommodated. And I thought... That's great. That's really great. And that just shows, like... You know, if you have the power to make something positive out of it, I know not everyone mm-hmm. has, but if you have a power to make something positive about that, it's going to be great if you really could do it. And for me, I think even this event that he's proposing sounds way better already. It's yeah, like sounds like it's probably more fun. Yeah, and see, because see now there he could have taken that, and there are people who have in the past taken that and been more angry and bitter about it and tried to do some retaliation thing. But rather than do that, he's making it into a positive and benefiting the students at that college. And it wasn't their fault. The students didn't fire him. You know, so good for him. No, and I agree with that. I funny enough, it kind of reminds me of something where I'm in a writing. Um, group where we kind of write stories together and they disapproved of a lot of things I wanted to write like my ideas were darker and mm-hmm. I, I'll get to why it's similar but like I was very bitter about that I mm-hmm. had said look I was told that this group didn't really interfere too much with stories and mm-hmm. they said well your stories are a little bit too harsh and a little bit mean-spirited and so it took a step back and I was angry about it but then I realized I could just use this as a way to be creative. So mm-hmm. I rewrote certain parts and became way more creative. So I was happy about that. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I like seeing moments where people, you know, they have this adversity and if you, that's when you really get creative because this Trevor project fundraiser, who knows it would have happened if he wasn't, mm-hmm. the, if mm-hmm. that didn't happen. But you know what? It's really a shame for Walsh University because like it's sort of this idea where the LGBT community and the religious community are neck and neck Mm -hmm. seemingly for the rest of existence. And this would have been a great chance to have not only an openly gay, but very friendly presenting person. Like, I mean, I know some people out there, there's a sort of perception that some gay men, you know, part of their comedy is being mean. Mm -hmm. And it is criticism that I have. And, you know. I'm not saying it's not always funny, but sometimes it can well, be Well, and there are some straight comics whose comedy is mean, too. Yeah. So, you know, it's no, yeah. not... Yeah. Well, it's definitely not exclusive to, like, yeah. like gay men, but, I, but Daniel's comedy has always been very, like, friendly and optimistic, mm-hmm. and if he jabs at something, he jabs at himself, but he, it's always at the idea of bringing himself up but bringing others up. So for me, they lost out on someone who was, pot, who was sweet and nice and actually... And he even said his comedy would have been family friendly at the event mm-hmm. and he said i'm i would have never even mentioned being gay mm-hmm. in fact the idea was to be positive and happy and actually talk about 
the values of mask of positive masculinity at this event, mm-hmm. and he felt yeah. that it was like yeah. Lost so out. I think it was a lost it was lost opportunity for the college year. I think um, yeah, but good for him for taking. Yeah, that's one of the things I admire about people in life: taking adversity and doing something positive with it. And he is so good, good for him. Good, really good. Good work, Daniel. Because honestly, like even if no, Daniel, <laughs> yes. we'll leave it at that. It's a good positive story yeah. at the end. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to Michael Healy and Jeff Hawker and Todd Goldberg. And I'm Bonnie G. This is uh, Brian Mendoza. And we will see you next time on the Culture Corner. See you next time and stay safe and have a good time. <laughs>